0: The reading this morning is from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.
1: Thank you so much for reading for us. Uh, Before I speak, let, let us all pray. Father, we thank you for this revelation of who Jesus is. We pray that you would be at work in our hearts by your spirit this morning as we meditate on your word. Amen. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open, be a great help uh, to me as we uh, unfold this passage, uh, if you can follow along. Uh, We're uh, we're starting a new series uh, this morning, uh, and we'll be looking at the person of Jesus, who is uh, Jesus, and what better time to do that uh, than now as we rush towards Advent and to Christmas. The danger of this time of year is that we are, brace yourselves, only 49 days from christmas soon the shops will be absolutely full of piped carol music and cards showing a baby in a manger uh, and the danger is that we too will get so caught up in what's going on uh, the world's eagerness to get to christmas day that we too will rush quickly to the stable uh, and the manger and the danger is that as we do that as we rush to that stable that we'll fail to look up we'll fail To cast our eyes properly on who Jesus is. And so what I really want to do over the next four Sundays is, if you like, an extended meditation on who Jesus is. And rather than looking in the gospel accounts, uh, we're going to go to parts of the New Testament and uh, the Old Testament. uh, Bits of scripture that help us climb to some quite dizzying heights uh, where we can see something more of the enormity of who Jesus is. And my prayer is that as we do that, that we will be more and more amazed by the account of Christmas. We'll be astonished by what God has done uh, uh, through uh, through Christmas. Uh, and this morning we're going to be looking at what the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote this letter, uh, tells us uh, as he writes to the church in Colossae about who Jesus is. Now the verses that we're looking at offer us... Uh, if not the highest view of Christ, then amongst the passages of Scripture that give us the loftiest uh, and most exalted view uh, of who Jesus is. So, from this passage, I want to lift out three things. Uh, Firstly, uh, who Jesus is in relation to God the Father. Uh, Secondly, who Jesus is in relation to creation. And thirdly, who Jesus is uh, in relation to us, the Christian. So, Let's start. Jesus in relation to the Father. Uh, In our passage, Paul makes this absolutely staggering statement right at the start. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Paul tells us that Jesus, uh, the Son, is the image of God. Now, what does it mean to be the image of the invisible God? The word Paul uses here uh, means uh, manifestation, uh, the demonstration, uh, the expression or the explanation of the invisible God. That by looking at Jesus, there is the visible expression of God the Father. Paul wants to reveal to us that Jesus brought the invisible God into the sphere of human understanding, that Jesus manifests to us, God himself. And the early church fathers caught this really well by saying that Jesus is the same being. He's the same substance, the same essence as God the Father. They are what they call homoousius. There's nothing less about the godness of Jesus. He is equally God with God the Father and God the Spirit. As a result, Jesus is God. And he's able then to make God the Father known uh, to us. That we as human beings might start to comprehend the character of God. That we might know who he is. And that's the account of all of scripture. That through scripture as a spirit works in our hearts and in our minds that we can know God. To know that we have been created for a relationship with him. At the very start of the Bible, uh, we're told that God planted Adam and Eve in the garden and that God would walk there in the cool of the evening with them. The creation of humanity is to draw us into a relationship with God. And at the very end of the Bible, we're told that we'll be raised to new life, to live face to face with God, that we're made for an eternal relationship with God. And we can't have a relationship with God as an abstract idea. Humanity needs to have God revealed to it. And because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, we can know the love of the one that has created us. God isn't cold. He's not distant. He's not remote. God is not a spirit uh, to be caught. God is a person, a person who wants us to know who he is. In and through Jesus, God animates his love, his character, his personhood in a way that humanity in its limited fashion can know. And that's the incarnation. God comes in the form of man, the invisible revealed to the visible. So in relation to God the Father, Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so secondly, how about Jesus in relation to creation? That's our second point. Take a look with me at verses 15 through 17. We see the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let's see uh, three things about who Jesus is in relation to creation. Uh, Take a look with me firstly at uh, the end of verse 15. We see that Jesus is described as being the firstborn over all creation. Uh, In the Bible, the term firstborn uh, can be used to say literally that, that the one who was born first. uh, But that isn't what Paul is uh, saying here based on the context of the letter. What Paul uh, is telling us is that Jesus has a special relationship between himself and God the Father. It's a relationship that's marked by privilege. Uh, Jesus is the one who stands in the privileged position over all creation. He's not part of it. He's not inside it. He's not created. As one theologian put it, Jesus is his father's representative and heir as the management of the divine household of all creation committed to him. He is preeminent. He is over all things. So what has this one who is described as the firstborn over all creation, what's he created? What has he created? Take a look with me at those verses again, 15 through 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Did you notice that? Take a look at verse 16. For in him all things were created. And verse 16 ends doesn't it. With all things have been created. Through him. It's all things. No exceptions. Everything. All things. If it exists. Jesus made it. The sun. The moon. The stars. The earth. Jesus made them. The millions of different types of plants. And animals. Fish. Birds. The tiniest organisms that we can't see. With our own eyes. Everything living. Jesus made it. The light by which we can see, Jesus made it. The other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can't see, the quarks, the subatomic particles that make up matter and all the energy that they are made from, Jesus made it. The dark matter that makes up 80% of our universe, Jesus made it. And it's not just the material things, but the spiritual realm as well, Jesus made it. And it's not just things, but it's also systems of rule and government. So thrones, powers, rulers and authorities, all made and established by Jesus. Uh, not to get distracted here, uh, but just to say that all such rulers and authorities aren't, as we know, good. Uh, that's not and that's because of humanity's rebellion against God rather than Jesus having created them defective. So what did Jesus create? All things. No exceptions. No exclusions, all things. Now we can marvel at uh, all manner of things uh, of uh, creation. Uh, We can see all sorts of wildlife and creatures. We can marvel at the complexity of the created order. But this morning, I just want us to stop for a moment and think about the scale of creation. In his book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams notes this about the scale of the universe. He says, space is big. You just won't believe how vastly, hugely, mind-bogglingly big it is. I mean, you may think it's a long way down the road to the chemists, but that's just peanuts to space. So how big is space? I've got a bit of paper here. If you imagine the thickness of this bit of paper, the thickness of that is the distance between us and the sun. Okay, 93 million miles, just the thickness of that. Yeah, 93 million miles. If you wanted uh, uh, to know how far the nearest star is from us, it would be a stack of paper to the top of this hall. Each bit of paper, 93 million miles. That's just to the nearest star. If you wanted to have a stack of paper that showed how wide our galaxy is, It would be a sack of paper from here, from London, to Glasgow. 430 miles. And that's just the width of our own solar system. If you want to go to the nearest galaxy, it would be a stack of paper from here to Australia. And every one of those bits of paper is 93 million miles away. And that's just to the nearest galaxy. Yep. The universe is unimaginably huge now think about what that means if jesus really is the image of the invisible god and he's created all things and he sustains all things the whole universe if that's really who jesus is then how should we relate to him how should we relate to him as someone once said to me is that the sort of person that if he phoned you you would only phone him back once you'd finished your daily chores. Is that someone that you would consider really as a vitamin supplement? Someone who can help you get over the lumps and bumps in the road of your life? Is that someone that you should think about for a couple of days, couple of hours on a Sunday and then barely give him a second thought through the rest of the week? So a question for reflection. How do you... Relate to Jesus How do you relate to Jesus? Now, if we were to do a time and motion study, if I was to follow you around with a clipboard yeah, and I follow uh, and I was able to uh, see everything that you did, I was able to hear your thoughts and um, write those all down, what would that reveal yeah, about how you relate to Jesus? with the way that you live your life Look like you thought of Jesus as the conductor in your life, the one who tells you how it's going to go. Or are you the conductor and Jesus is just playing the piccolo in the orchestra pit? Is Jesus someone who helps you fill out your life or is he the one who gives you life? And maybe this morning you're sitting there thinking, oh my word, I'm really, really convicted by that. Well, there's good news. There's good news for you, and there's good news for all of us. What we need is a new way of thinking. We need the gospel. We need the gospel, and that's what Paul reminds us of in our third point. Take a look at verses 15 to 19 from our reading. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the one, he, sorry, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell within him. Now, these verses beg a really, really important question. Why? Why is Paul giving us such a lofty view of who Jesus is? The Son of God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the one who creates all things, in whom God was pleased to have his fullness dwell. Why does Paul give us such an exalted view of who Jesus is here? If you've got your Bibles open, take a look with me. Take a look at the two verses before our reading and the two verses after our reading. He says in verses 13 and 14, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on at the other end of our reading. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Paul sets the highest possible view of Christ in the midst of speaking about our true state before God without Christ. As we see Jesus high and lifted up, as we see him exalted, we get a better view of who we are without him. He says that without Jesus, we are naturally living in the dominion of darkness. We see that in verse 13. Before Jesus, we were alienated from God, God's enemies, because our behavior was evil. We see that in verse 21. There was nothing to commend us to God, nothing that was inherently good in us. And Paul says that we're alienated in our natural state from God. Because we choose to live without regard for him. Paul is grinding our pride into the dust. Any sense that we have that somehow we merit salvation is completely shredded. Any sense that our heritage, our class, our achievement or our worldly acclaim makes us worthy before God is taken completely to pieces. The only way that we can be made right with God is if he rescues us. The only way is for rescue. So take a look at verse 20. What a rescue it is. Uh, He he says, Paul says this, And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, This verse is like a lightning rod, that takes the enormity of who Jesus is, the vastness of who Jesus is, and drives it down into the flesh of Jesus as a man on the cross. Think about that. Paul tells us that the one who created all things, the enormity of all things that have been created, that he is the one who is going to pay for our rebellion, that nothing else will do. And did you notice that in this work of salvation, there is no set of instructions of things that we need to do in order to be saved? There is no work that will inherently merit us in God's eyes. It's all a work done by God. It is by Christ alone, it is by faith alone, and it is by grace alone. The gospel, the good news through Jesus, humbles us into the dust because it reveals that there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. We were utterly lost. But, and this is the amazing thing, but at the very same time, it affirms us to the skies because God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. His son lived the life that we should have lived and then he dies the death that we deserve. Him dying in our place. The one who created all things, the one who is preeminent, dying on a Roman cross for you and for me. And through his death, amazingly, through his blood being spilt on that cross, we have access to salvation. On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, God's true son, was forsaken so that we could be reconciled as prodigals received as God's children. Do you want to know how much you're loved? Do you want to know how much you're loved by God? Look at what God the Father was prepared to lay down to bring you home. I wonder, has that truth moved from your head to your heart? And the more that you can see both aspects, just how lost you were and how loved you are, you need to see those two things together to be humbled into the dust and affirmed to the skies. The more you can see that, the more you will have life and have life in all of its fullness. So I wonder, how about you this morning? Has the truth of God's love only been something that you've known in your head? Has God been making it real in your heart this morning? If God's working in your heart this morning, don't resist. Don't resist. Let his spirit be at work in your heart. Let the knowledge of his love for you be poured into your heart this morning. Pray with the person you came with this morning. Pray with the person beside you. Come and pray with me after the service. Whatever you do, if this morning the Lord is working in your heart, if your heavenly Father is running toward you this morning to put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and a robe around your shoulders, let him. By his Spirit, know him embracing you. Let that love fall into your heart and rejoice. And as we receive communion this morning, Remember Christ's body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. The one who was preeminent on a cross for us. and pray that his love would flood your heart this morning. Look and see the one who left everything in heaven dying for you. The one who created everything dying for you. And know his love truly in your heart this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of the greatness of the Lord Jesus. Help us this week to reflect and meditate on the enormity of who Jesus is. Stir our hearts with the truth of our need for rescue, reconciliation and redemption. Break down our pride as you remind us of our need for rescue. And allow your love to be poured into our hearts by your Spirit. We pray that you would allow the truth of your love to move from our heads to our hearts. Warm our hearts with a reminder of your love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.